Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news. Often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Back in the microphone, <laughs> ready to do another season of Jesuitical. I'm so excited. It's been such a great summer. Yeah. It really has. You know, I it, it, it was good to be away. We needed that time. The weekly show is a grind. Um, I hope all of you listening got some rest this summer, too, and were able to maybe like break out of your homes a little bit. I know it's been a a weird back and forth. We started in a hot vac summer and we're in this very strange COVID time right now. But But we're so happy to be back. Yeah, very, very excited to be back in the studio. And we have like a legendary guest coming up for our first episode. So, I mean, I'm I'm really, really psyched. How was your how was your summer? It was great. I think I set a new personal record for trips made to Coney Island. So <laughs> I think I noticed that. Yeah, um, I I made it a few times, but um, it's it is God's country. So that makes sense. Yeah, there is no better place to be if you want to be, you know, outside, safe, distance from people. Great place. What about you? Any highlights? Any highlights? Um, yeah, let me think. Uh Went by really quickly. Uh, I can't believe it's already. We're moving into fall. September is prime camping season, though, so psyched for that. But the summer was good. We spent a lot of time in the backyard, did some gardening, got some peppers and tomatoes that we're harvesting at this moment. And we got a uh, like a hibachi grill last Christmas uh, from my mom. So shout out to you, Amy. Um, and we were able to install that this summer and, and have some fun grill nights back there. So Yes, I was happy to be on the receiving end of the hibachi products (laughs) yeah but i mean like i i I will admit there was a lot of catholic news this summer and so i was you know a couple times i was itching to get back in the game right like oh yeah some some big latin mass news bishops news biden news like all all summer long and so we're ready to get get back into it because i don't think this fall is going to slow down and we should note we hope that there are some some new listeners uh coming to us this episode because we, we we tasked all of our existing listeners with spreading the word about Jesuitical over the summer. So if you haven't done that yet, that was your chance. Um, so just a quick welcome to Jesuitical. This is a podcast for Catholics of all ages. We brand ourselves as a, a podcast for young Catholics, but young, young at spirit too. We talk to really interesting people. We break down Catholic News of the Week and we try to do a little face sharing throughout the process. So, oh, oh and most of the time we're doing it over drinks. So we're trying to recreate you know, a pretty informal, but, but, you know, serious look at what it means to be a Catholic in the world today. And we are getting back into it in a big way with our first guest of the season who really needs no introduction, at least for our crowd. And that is Father Greg Boyle. Yeah. So if you don't know who that is, Father Greg Boyle, he's a Jesuit priest. He's the founder of Homeboy Industries and the author of a new book, The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness. And if you went to a Jesuit university in the last 
I don't know, 10 years, you were almost guaranteed required at some point to read um, his first bestseller, which was Tattoos on the Heart, which is, I will say, a tearjerker. Just a phenomenal book. Yeah. I didn't even go to a Jesuit university and somehow I found it. It might be the first uh, book by a Jesuit I ever read. And yeah, you can't read it without just being floored by what Father Greg has been able to do in his ministry with gang members and the formerly incarcerated. Yeah. Homeboy Industries is, is just an an incredible ministry that Father Greg Boyle started. I think it's, you know, over 30 years ago, but it's the largest gang intervention rehab and reentry program in the world. Nearly 9,000 people come through their doors every year, which is, which is nuts. And it's, you know, based out of the Dolores Mission Parish in uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, what they've been able to accomplish over, over three plus decades is really, really incredible. And if you, if you haven't heard of Homeboy or if you haven't heard any of Father Greg's stories yet, you should, you should, there's a quick, famous TED talk that he gave five or 10 years ago that is, is is pretty quick and it's worth worth checking out. But after you do that, definitely come right back here because we've got get into some really interesting stuff from Father Greg's you know past year, what, what he's been up to during COVID times, um, what he's learned looking back on his you know years of ministry, and also a little bit about this book that's coming out later this fall. Yes. And we did talk to Father Greg at the Homeboy Industry headquarters where he has is an office where the what he calls the homies are often dropping by. So if you hear a little background noise, it's because of that. So stick around for our conversation with Father Greg Boyle. And we're going to let that run a little long this week. And so we'll get back into the normal structure of the show next week. So no signs of times or consolations and desolations this week. I know, I know you're, you're, you're groaning, but <laughs> Ashley and I, you know, we've got to walk before we can run. So this is our, this is our getting back into things. So bear with us, please. But before we get to our conversation with Father Greg, we want to tell you a few words about our sponsor this week. Zach, I don't know about you, but my brain is feeling a little bit soft after a, a summer of relaxing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm i staring right now as we speak at the pile of books that I was supposed to read this summer. Um, and, you know, it's I'm disappointed in myself. I know. But I, I, I feel like I have been able to learn and feed my brain a little bit, despite not getting through my summer reading list. Right. And... One way to jumpstart your learning as we head into the school year is through Wondrium. It is a great service. You might have known it before as the Great Courses Plus, but it offers so much content for anything you're interested in, from history to fitness to crafts to philosophy. And we are so happy to tell you more about them today. Yeah, no, I can't get enough of the streaming service, right? Uh, I feel like oftentimes we look at st- streaming and binge watching as a as a guilty pleasure, or like eating a you know plate full of onion rings that's <laughs> that's uh, too large and sitting out in front of us. But but Wondrium is amazing, and it you know counteracts that feeling of guilty pleasure because it's all it's all pleasure. Um, no need to feel Catholic guilty about it. It's got a lot of cool stuff, and we're going to tell you about one course in particular that we've been sinking into. It's I found it on their most popular. They have that on their on their main homepage. the The course is called How the Medici Shaped the Renaissance. I picked this because I feel like I hear a lot about the Medici's and I know that they're, you know, supposed to be important both in the history of of Europe and the Renaissance and also the church, but I can't say that I've actually dug into it a ton. Yeah, no. And they have one specific episode that focuses on the Medici popes, which if you think the Catholic Church is scandalous today, <laughs> just wait till you hear about Leo the 10th. Yeah, no. He's the guy who, you know, famously said, well, since God has given us the papacy, we might as well enjoy it, Um, which (laughs) is a little different than I think some of the first words out of Pope Francis's mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you might think this is just kind of a corrupt time in in the Vatican, but I, I had not even realized this is also right when the Protestant Reformation is happening. And so 
you kind of have a very turbulent time happening in the church with you know some pretty questionable guys also leading the church at the time. So I was learning a lot about how they you know helped fund the Renaissance, bring down you know the Democratic Republic of, of Florence, and also infiltrate the Catholic Church all through it. Um, yeah. So it's also if interesting that, sounds- that this is kind of the world that that Saint Ignatius Loyola was coming up in. This was the church he knew. Yeah, no, it's true. I think we, yeah, as you said, we get a little doomsday about the church sometimes. And it's good to remember that, you know, there have been other doomsday moments. And it it feels nice to like view it at a distance, right? And Wondrium does an amazing job of bringing history to life in that way. And so this is an incredible streaming service that you need to check out. And we know you're going to love it as much as we do. And so we've got a special URL that you should use so that they know we sent you, which is wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. And for a limited time, if you sign up, you'll get a free month of unlimited access that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. Now stick around for our conversation with Father Greg Boyle. Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest, the founder of Homeboy Industries, and the author of the forthcoming book, The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father Boyle. It is great to be with all of you. No, and it's great It's great to see you. I, I know this is a, maybe a bit of a cliche place to start, but this is, I feel like, how most small talk happens now when we're reconnecting with people um, after the past year and a half. But wondering if you could, we could start with what... The past year and a half has been like for you, you have this line in your, the introduction to your new book. For every one of us, the pandemic didn't just alter plans. It also torpedoed identity. Who am I after all, if how I am relational gets toppled? And you know, you're someone who is obviously doing a lot of in-person ministry. um, And you talk all the time about how Homeboy Industries is so relational and incarnational. And I I don't know about you, but Zoom and Skype are the least, among the least incarnational things I think I can think of. If you could maybe explain for our audience how important like relationship and in-person things were before the pandemic and then how that's changed in the past year and a half. Well, you know, so part of my life is to be here in my office where you, where I am at the moment, and uh, and you're constantly seeing uh, gang members walk in and and they, you know, tell me what's going on with their life, and so um, so there's that. But I'm also in all these detention facilities, in all of them throughout uh, Los Angeles County, where I celebrate the Eucharist on a rotating basis. That was uh, shut down, and and. It, it mainly kind of still is. Occasionally there are places that open up and then they close again just as quickly as they had opened. And then I'm out giving talks. So all that stuff is kind of uh, what I do for a living. And so that kind of stopped. So you had to, you know, lean into the grief of it and uh, try to figure out now who am I? So I mean, that's not a horrible thing. It's funny you mentioned Zoom that's least relational, although I've had a kind of the sort of quasi Bible study with all these gang members every Tuesday night. And, and now we're moving into our second year every Tuesday night over zoom. Yeah. And it's, um, quite amazing. And then I had a, a group of professor friends of mine from all over the world and we would read brothers Karamazov and a, a variety of things. So, I mean, that wouldn't have happened were it not for the pandemic. So I don't know. 
Now, you you mentioned the word grief, and I I, I know that's probably like a, a quick shorthand, like or you get there very quickly identifying that as grief. But like I think for most people, you know, it's sad or, or but grieving the loss of an identity. What is what's that like? I mean, the real hard work of it. Yeah, I, I just came right now from burying my two hundred and fiftieth young person uh, who has died in, you know, the streets. And his name was John. And uh, and so what are you to make of that? You know, he left uh, seven kids behind. So, you know, it's difficult. And so you, you have to lean into this grief and you, you want to make sure that grief doesn't leave you where it found you. And grief loosens you up so that you are freed for something else. Otherwise, you know, we get stuck in the sadness, as you said, you know, the sadness of it, and you stay there. And we're not meant to stay there. We're not, we're, we ought not to settle for sadness. You know, you want to hold out for the joy that's being offered no matter what, and no matter what's happened to you. I, don't, I think it, the, the time has been very instructional in that way and illuminating that it's led us to kind of really stay anchored in the luminous now. Because we were all freed from uh, tasks and, and the typical ways that we identified ourselves. We just kind of don't, didn't do it anymore for a prolonged period of time. We used muscles that were unfamiliar to us. And I think that was uh, actually in the end kind of uh, enlivening and helpful. Yeah. So your your books are chock full of stories about your your conversations with homies, and they often, you know, impart this w- amazing wisdom. And I'm wondering if there you have any stories like that from the past year of ways that gang members have helped you through that grieving process and rebuilding relationships in the new context. Well, you know, at the beginning when we had PPE, you know, and and it was wear a mask and personal protection. And the homies were constantly doing that, texting me, you know, we are your mask was what a guy had sent me from. He had been deported to Mexico. And then, you know, so they were all our own. Everybody, you felt personally protected in the sense that people held you and they held you in mind and they held you, you know, kind of in a consciousness, even though we were apart. We were shut down like most people initially, and then the mayor deemed us a essential organization. So, you know, we kind of reopened and we staggered people and we, you know, checked temperature at the door and that kind of thing. But I remember I was sitting here in in my mask and a homie came in with an apron dusted with flour. And his name is uh, Carlos. We call him Chamuco because he has two devil's horns on his forehead. And he came in and... I'd help him during the pandemic to uh, fix his teeth, which were pretty awful. And he stood in front of my desk and he said, hey, you know, can I take my mask off and show you my grill? Because he was uh, wanted to thank me. And, and I said, sure. So he did. And big smile. And, and he really kind of exaggerated the smile. And, and then he looked at me and he said, not only did you pay for this smile, you are the reason I'm smiling. You know, even before I could say anything, he said, hey, that's good, write it down. And he, for sure, he just wanted to get in my next book. And and he did, he's in the, he opens my, the epilogue. He got in just under the wire. <laughs> <laughs> but here at Homeboy, we always talk about 
laughing from the stomach. And the homies always talk about that. At Homeboy, we laugh from the stomach, which means that there's depth to it. It's not superficial. It really kind of is transformational kind of uh, laughter. So, but that even happened, you know, during this time and, and hilarious memes. That was the other thing. The meme sharing. Oh my God. They would send me things that just made me howl, you know? And, uh, and one, one homie somewhere in the middle of the pandemic texted me, said, you know, can I finally take a shower or do I have to just keep washing my hands? Uh, I go, please take a shower. Oh man. Now I imagine most of our listeners are very familiar with your work. Um, and so I want you to just appreciate the situation we're in where we're trying to, you know, pull something new out of you here. But I'm wondering if you, for those that aren't familiar, if you could just maybe kind of define this idea of kinship that's so essential to to your ministry and the work at Homeboy. Well, the, the kind of essential principles around here is that we belong to each other and every single person is unshakably good. And so there is no need to sever belonging. There's no need to say you're in and you're out. One day you might be in, but you need to change your behavior. No, everybody's everybody belongs. So you try to create a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. And you try to, you know, announce this message that nobody is outside the circle of compassion. And so you're trying to obliterate once and for all the illusion that we're separate, that there's an us and a them, and we don't want that. What does resistance look like? I imagine that's, it sounds really nice, but I imagine oftentimes when people are met with good, they, they want to run away from it, especially if you've got, you know, rival gang members coming in together or just any, any, any old person. Like, what does resistance look like to that message typically? Resistance is mainly outside of this community, probably, you know, I mean, that's that's the nature of demonizing. So people will demonize gang members. And I, that was so much more pronounced in our first 10 years than in our last 20. But still, you know, it's it's all part of people saying there are certain types of people who don't belong to us. And even now, given the polarizing times in which we live, you know, I've never in my lifetime ever seen a more pronounced notion of us and them. Than right now? Don't you think? Politically and, you know, it's how tribal we are, you know. And so, I mean, Homeboy wants to be the front porch of the house everybody wants to live in. So we're trying to, we don't want to just point stuff out. We, we'd also like to point the way. You know, he, here are black, brown, Asian enemies, people who used to shoot at each other. And now they're making croissants together in the Homeboy Bakery. So. That's kind of the idea. So how do we you know, announce that message to the world? You know, what if we stood against forgetting that we belong to each other? You mentioned, you know, the divisions, the us versus them. We, we even see that in the Catholic Church right now. And I'm wondering, yeah, if you can just unpack what the lessons you take from your work in relationship building and reconciliation, what the church could take from that. Well, I, I don't think we, we really ident identify things very correctly, you know, and that's part of the problem. You know, these folks are bad and these folks are good. These folks are correct and these folks are incorrect. These folks are faithful to uh, uh, the teaching of the church and these folks aren't. 
So the mark of, you know, an authentic disciple is joy and bravery. And so you can easily identify what lurks underneath most things by, by identifying, you know, fear and sadness. You know, if the message is soaked with fear and laced with sadness, then you at least know that you're doing it incorrectly, which is probably nice to know. But if it's joyful and if it's brave and if it's take seriously what Jesus took seriously, you know, inclusion, nonviolence, unconditional loving kindness and compassionate acceptance, if it does all that stuff, then it stays close to the marrow of the gospel and it's never afraid. We get stuck in moral outrage and and we shouldn't. We, we shouldn't settle for that. We should hold out for moral compass, which is quite different. So now how can we help people who are injured and in pain? Because nobody healthy or well or whole has ever attacked an Asian woman on the streets of San Francisco. That's never happened in the history of the world, ever. And once you know that, then you can say, well, how do we help people who are in pain, who have unattended injury? Gang members have taught me that in 37 years, and I'm eternally grateful. Now, it, there's moral outrage, I guess, can be like this barrier to, um, as you say, a moral compass or forgiveness or something like that. But also, I feel like, you know, we're coming off a period of news where things can feel very overwhelming, I guess, and, and distant. And so there's a lot of people, I feel like this, my two options are either be morally outraged or just be more like ap- apathy is not the right word, but like, well, I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything about this. And so I don't, I'm not going to think about it. What it, it, is a moral compass an antidote to that sort of feeling towards despair as well? Yeah. Moral compass is more than forgiveness or reconciliation. Moral compass does what the homies always talk about here. How do we find the thorn underneath? Here, people behave badly all, all the time. I can look out in my office and I can identify, you know, several folks who are, um, you know, can be difficult and have started fights. And it's because they're in pain. It has nothing to do with morality. Morality has never kept us moral. It's just kept us from each other. So that's essential because obviously God doesn't share in our outrage. God, God only invites us to kinship and connection. How do you find the thorn underneath? How do you help each other? Obviously, people are in pain. It's like Jesus when he he sees the guy having seizures, and he, like the whole crowd, thinks the guy is possessed by a demon, but he's not. He has epilepsy, and so that's kind of different. And it's important to name things correctly. Otherwise, you get stuck in moral outrage, which is just self-congratulatory. It feels good. It feels like it's on the right path, but it just isn't. It's, it's a block to moral compass where we can get underneath. What, you know, around here, every, every gang member who works here as a senior staff knows that behavior is a language. And so they always want to know, well, what's that language speaking? What is that behavior indicating? They just fought right now. So what does that mean? And where is that coming from? And what wound and injury needs our attention? 
Now that is how God sees. I thought of this experience when I was reading your book. Um, I had a friend a couple years ago ask this question, which is, one of the 10 questions that's always asked on Inside the Actors Studio. So it's like, what's your favorite word? What's your least favorite word? And then the last one is, if God exists um, and you make it to heaven, like, what do you, what do you, what is the first thing you want to hear God say to you? And I like my, the immediate thing that popped into my head was, it's okay, which like looking, like, it felt weird. It was like, that's, it's kind of small and <laughs> not exciting, <laughs> but it like, I think it's, it, kind of speaks to like what you talk about, about the way it says something about the way I think God sees me as like, I need to be justified. Like, it's okay to be me. It's what you did. It is okay. And, but yeah, so I just thought about that. Have you ever, have you ever had that question? It addresses the thing that undergirds everything, which is our abiding sense that there's something wrong with us. And so then to have God say, it's okay, you're okay because we just spend so much time utterly convinced that we aren't. And so how do we get to a place where we actually feel, you know, the tender glance and we feel the notice of God and then we start to notice the notice of God and other people and behold the one beholding you and smiling. Yet it'll probably be wordless when you encounter God at the end. It'll just be behold the one beholding you and smiling. You talk and write about, you know, Believing, like, we have to stop believing in the gods that we kind of grew up believing in and, you know, understand who God actually is. Is there a moment in your life where you, where you felt that just kind of switch? I think probably when I entered the Jesuits, I, I mean, I, I had kind of a, a sense of that that has only grown, you know. So I've never really fully bought uh, the God that we were taught. How would you describe that God? You know... As my friend Mirabai Starr says, once you know the God of love, you fire all the other gods. So so there are those, you know, I, I feel like I kind of in my own life, it became clear to me that uh, God wasn't who people said God was, you know, exacting, demanding, judging, eternally disappointed, shaking God's head at me. Can't you get, can't you do anything right? I mean, obviously, I had that as a kid. Everybody does. But I think one of the reasons why I joined the Jesuits was it wasn't my experience of God pretty early on. Now, I've spent almost 40 years walking with gang members, and they've made this so abundantly clear to me that I, I, I'm never tempted to believe in a wrathful God, an angry God, uh, an eternally disappointed God. It just doesn't doesn't compute with my experience. and. And it's disheartening and dispiriting sometimes that people still cling to to a God who keeps wanting stuff from you instead of for you. And my joy, yours, your joy complete. There's no greater articulation what God wants for you than to be joyful. And it, it takes a lifetime to kind of see that 
anything other than joy is not on God's mind. Even to do good and avoid evil. I mean, the point of that is that you'll be joyful, you know, if you if you love being loving. So it's not about a tally sheet at the end of your life. It's more about how how can we get to joy more quickly. You mentioned that that the homies and and people you've been working with over the past 30 years have made that love abundantly clear to you. Something I learned in your book is that I, I believe your spiritual director is is a former gang member or a homie. How how when did that start and why did why did how did you know, that it's probably it's probably his name is Sergio and I, I've known him since he was a little kid and then uh you know he kind of evolved and grew and went to prison and got into recovery and now he helps run a a, a program in uh San Bernardino called uh, God's Pantry. He's kind of been my spiritual guide for the last five years. So we email each other every morning and he gets up impossibly early and so do I. So and lately what we've done for the last couple of years I guess is we've we just get the readings that come to our email the readings for the day, and then we'll kind of pray over them, and then we'll kind of shoot out some lines to each other, whoever gets there first, and then we kind of go back and forth, you know, questions we might have or something that happened. Uh, so it's it's not like let's meet once a month. We we do it every day, and it's uh, it's quite wonderful. It's a different model of spiritual direction, I think, than probably most of your uh, brother Jesuits are used to. Well, you know, I'd say, yeah, because he's, um, you know, he's had to carry more than I've ever had to carry. And I got a, a quite a number of years on him. So as always, I stand in awe at what he's had to carry. You know, something I've really wanted to ask you is how you measure success. You know, you're sort of looking back on this. How, how long has it been? 37 years since you started Homeboy? Yeah, well, 37 years since I've been working with gang members, but 33 homeboy industries. So 37 years you've been working with gang members. Are you measuring like success in terms of individuals or like overall, like, you know, gang violence reduction in, in your neighborhood? Um, is it both? I, one thing that frustrates me is like a, a young adult working in the church is I kind of hear all the time, like, well, you know, ministry can't be measured by the same standards of success as like you know, the business world. And that frustrates me a lot of times because I think <laughs> the church uses that as a crutch rather than an actual like spiritual, you know, it's in God's hands. Well, yeah, but it's also in ours. And you've obviously built this very successful ministry. And I'm wondering if how you've thought about that has shifted at all in the past 33 or 37 years. Yeah. Well, you know, part of the, uh, the thing is that Mother Teresa said, we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. So at Homeboy, we are outcomes aware, but we're not outcomes driven. You know, what drives us, the air we breathe, the, the, the thing that we get our, our life from is kind of a person-centered approach. You know, it's really the person sitting in front of you today in the luminous now, right at this second. So then you, you stop caring about success. Oddly, if if you're driven by success, then it's only about you and you will burn out and you will be depleted oddly. 
But if all you want to do is be relationally whole with people and connect to people, then it's eternally replenishing, which is what you want. And in the end, that's the only thing that makes progress. The thing that keeps us from moving forward is our own egocentric, outcomes-driven, success-obsessed. That, that's what actually keeps us from making progress in terms of, you know, all of us entering into the kinship of God with an exquisite mutuality. So it's it's funny how humans are. We we want to kind of focus on something and we want to address things head on, even success. Our goal is success. And good luck with that, you know, because it 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 doesn't actually make progress because, you know, there's some things present that ought not to be. If if your goal is success, it's about you and it can't be. If your goal is success is to fix and rescue and save people and it can't be. So it's it's an odd kind of thing. So because every every social dilemma is about something else. Homelessness, gang violence, everything, racism, it's all about something else. So the trick is to find the something else and to go where love has not yet arrived and love what you find. And that makes progress. I mean, I guess progress, I'm just hearing myself say it now, is a word I, I like better than success. Because success is about me, but progress is about us. It can't hurt to have gotten $200 million from <laughs> Mackenzie Scott, though. 20. 20. Only 20. 20. Oh, 20 sorry, 20. <laughs> I had a homie come in and he said, uh, hey, I hear... Uh, uh, Bozo's wife gave you $20 million. And I said, it was actually Bezos' ex because Bozo doesn't have that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, congrats on that, by the way. Um, I think we want to move just real quick. We asked some of our listeners to submit some comments, and we're just going to try to move through these a little quickly, if you, if you don't mind. Uh, so one from... Uh, Denise, she asked, what was one of your earliest experiences or encounters with feeling the presence of God? And how does that compare to a more recent experience? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this when I was uh, in high school. I, I, I used to, when I would go to the, the beach in Los Angeles, and, and I just for me, the ocean was God, and it was so palpable. So a homie the other day, he just, he videoed you know, the water very close, he was on these rocks and the water was coming up to the rocks. It was so calm and it was so still and it was kind of endless. It was like 10 minutes long. And I just looked at it and I, and I wrote him back. I said, you know, the ocean is God. And I remember that that was for me, you know, a palpable experience of, of God being quiet and still and deep. And, you know, somehow you you enter the stillness of God and then you rest there. So I, I, it, it reclaimed something of almost 50 years ago when I joined the Jesuits, an abiding sense of uh, what kind of God we have. All right. Another, uh, here's another one, a little more practical from Mike. What would you say to young seminarians or lay ministers who are looking to get into prison ministry? Well, you know, I, I met somebody who... Uh, is involved in the Kairos retreats that go into prisons and, and they have kind of a mantra that they say, listen, listen, love, love. 
And it's because people will go into a prison and in their own insecurity, they'll want to uh, yak at people and tell people things. But, you know, the key to ministry is, uh, can you allow your heart to be altered by other people? Can you receive people, especially those who are on the margins, the widow, orphan, and the stranger? Can you allow yourself to be reached by them? So that the idea when you go into a prison is somehow, I'm going to go into a prison and I'm going to reach these guys. But there's another example of stuff is really about some, something else. Can you go into a prison and allow yourself to be reached by them? And that feels passive, but it's, it's hugely of the gospel to do such a thing. So Alexander's, I think, looking to stir the pot a little bit. Uh, what are some of the criticisms you get from people in the church about your work? I don't think I really get criticisms anymore uh, from church. You know, I mean, they did at, in the early days, you know, there, uh, there would be, uh, you know, maybe you know, just as the majority of people demonized the gang members. So it was a short hop to demonize the person who helped gang members. So everybody kind of engaged in that. I don't know. In terms of church, sometimes I've been uh, outspoken on on wanting us to to be uh, more connected to the marrow of the gospel, and that's always going to bump into the church, and it makes me sad that that's the case. Again, everything's about something else. If if you want to re-energize the church, you know, quit quit talking about Catholic and talk about gospel. You know, it's funny that, you know, sometimes the bishops will say, um, you know, people are confused or people are have contempt for the gospel. And I go, no, they don't. They're longing for it. They're thirsty for it. They're hungry for somebody to actually, you know, speak the gospel, to talk about the liberation that's that's in it. But but instead, it's I don't know who can go to communion or or things like that. It's like, no, no, no. People aren't contemptuous of of the gospel. They're just what they're just waiting for you to get around to preaching it. All right. So that's it for the Facebook comments. We did want to before before we let you go, um, give you a chance to talk about your new book. Help you um, sell some copies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess uh we want to know uh, why why this book now. You've you've written about kinship before, um, compassion, and now and now this one um, is about tenderness. Why did you think it was important to to get that message out there now? So a lot of it is just sort of what's on my mind at the moment. I you know I I, I feel like kind of the answer is to somehow embrace a mystical view that sees tries to see as best we can as God does without fear. And without sadness, every gangman that walks through our doors comes barricaded behind a wall of shame and disgrace. And the only thing that can scale that wall is tenderness. So tenderness is really the is a is the fullness of mystical love, because otherwise uh, love stays in your head or in the air or even in your heart. But unless it becomes tender, there is no connective tissue, and that's what you that's what you need. You, you need this to be connective. And it just felt clear to me that, that we ought to speak the whole language, have a fluency in, in a kind of a mystical way of living where we really choose to be in the world who God is, uh, 
compassionate, loving, and kind. You know, so I, I don't know if there was any timing to it. I mean, I, the fact that I was, uh, you know, we were in this pandemic, it allowed me to to write in a way that I didn't have to go take a sabbatical to do it. So to me, it seemed like it was a much more mystical book. You feel like you are becoming more like, are you thinking more about mysticism and who God is as you go on in years? I think so. You know, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to pretend that I'm a mystic, but I, I, I love the mystics. And and they cut through stuff. You know, even Ignatius in his early days, you know, was scrupulous and tormented. And once he knew the God of love, he fired all the other gods. And mystics all have that experience, you know. So is that a young person thing then? Is it like, is it so age driven? Like, I don't know. Or is it? more where you're at in the process are you you saying i'm old i you know i would not dare to suggest that but i i I think i'm young and i think i've probably got some gods i still need to fire (laughs) we all have gods that we need to fire but um you know yikes yeah but so part of the thing is um you know find me a mystic who believes in hell and i will think you have not located a mystic you know, it's it sort of how it works. You know, Julian of Norwich and John of the Cross and all these folks, you know, Ignatius, at the end, they kind of have a sense of the God of love. You know, like Julian would say, I, you know, I, I guess there's a hell, but, you know, it's, you know, other mystics would say, I guess there's a hell, but I think it's empty. But she would say, maybe there's the God is wrathful and angry but i've never seen that i don't know that god so it's the mystical certainty that says no this is the god i know and that other god i don't know is is foreign to my experience which is nice that's the whole point of mystics we all want to become them uh, hopefully uh, before we check out father greg thank you so much we do have one final question for you um, and we ask this of all our guests if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? I don't know, you know, because there, there are too many, but I would say this kid, Sergio, just, you know, I say kid, he's not a kid anymore, but he's he's a holy man, and mainly because he's fearless in, in uh, wanting to have God kind of marinate everything that he does or thinks or touches. And and it's a constant thing. And I, I uh, admire his holiness. And, and that's what I want to be when I grow up. Amen. Well, I wish you luck in the growing up. Um, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for taking the time today and, and, and for all you've done in, in your life and for, for, for this Jesuit world too. So um, we really, we really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great being with all of you. All right. Thanks so much. Stay well. Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Kevin Robles. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.
Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.